2 Timothy chapter 1, reading from verse 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus, by the will of God, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I am grateful to God, whom I worship with a clear conscience, as my ancestors did, when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Do not be ashamed then of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher, and for this reason I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know the one in whom I have put my trust, and I'm sure that he's able to guard until that day what I have entrusted to him. Hold to the standard of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good treasure entrusted to you with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We stand as Chris comes to bring the gospel reading to us. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory, Glory to you, O Lord. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Christ. 
Do please be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. It's nice to be with you this morning. Um, before, I, uh, before I start to talk, should I just uh, pray together? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you that your desire is to speak to us, to speak into our hearts and minds, and to call us afresh and to send us out in your power using the gifts that you've given us. So this morning, Lord, we just ask you to uh, help us to take from this that that you desire in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have two passages before us this morning, and I'd like to have a quick look at each of them in turn and then just say a couple of things about uh, how they link, really. So the first uh, passage is the one that I've just read, the Gospel reading from, uh, from Luke where the disciples ask for more faith. I guess you could say that the passage starts in a slightly strange place in a way, with the disciples asking Jesus to give them more faith. So you kind of ask yourself, what prompted that? Why did they make that statement then and there? Well, immediately before this, Jesus was saying to them about, woe to those who entice others to sin, recognizing that sin will and does occur within the believers. But they shouldn't be part of leading others into sin. And he also talks about the need to forgive, and to particularly to forgive those that come asking for forgiveness. And as a result of this, the disciples ask, Lord, increase our faith. Now, maybe that's something that you've asked as well on occasions. But I wonder how helpful you found the response that Jesus gave to them. See, Jesus replied to them with that well-known comment about faith the size of a mustard seed, in this case being enough to move a mulberry bush into the sea. I suspect that was not exactly what the disciples were expecting. And if that wasn't bad enough, actually, Jesus then goes on to tell the story about a master and a servant, making the point that the way things work is that the servant works all day in the fields, etc., and then comes home and cooks a meal. Now, that might sound a bit familiar, that actually, does it? But no, no, I jest, I jest. The point being that the master isn't going to set to and get the meal for the servant. It's the other way around, isn't it? He also goes on to reinforce this by saying that the servant wouldn't expect to get any praise for doing exactly what is expected from them. So what does that mean, and what does it mean for us? Well, I think the key point is that Jesus wants the disciples to appreciate that walking with God and doing the right things is, of course, based on faith. But it's not a question of how much faith you have. The point is, to follow Jesus and do what he wants, faith is needed, but it's not the amount that matters. If we believe in God and Jesus Christ, have faith, if you like, in Jesus, then we're called to obedience. We're called to what he teaches us. And we don't need great degrees of faith for that. 
Sometimes I think we can actually confuse a lack of faith with what is actually a lack of obedience. We need to be obedient to what Jesus has taught us through his word. If I believe in the power of electricity, I don't need great faith to believe it will power the devices that I use on a daily basis. And it's sort of the same with Jesus. If we believe in Jesus and who he is and what he did and what he's promised us, then we should follow what he asks us to do. Not only that, actually, but we shouldn't be super pleased with ourselves for doing what Jesus asks us to do. It should just flow naturally. So, just one or two key points on that so I'm not confusing people. You see, faith is really important. There's no question about that, both for everyday living and also for those special times and events that maybe require special faith. God provides the faith that we need for the task that he set. And if he wants us to do something particular, then he will gift us and and strengthen us and give us the faith we need to do that. Secondly, of course, I'm not actually saying that God doesn't value our obedience. He does. He absolutely does. If you remember that, that, that's the, 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 the passage about the good and faithful servant, and at the end of doing what is right, God welcomes us home with the words, good and faithful servant, come and enter into your Father's joy. God loves it when we do, when we do what he asks. And fortunately for us, He forgives us when we don't. And we should appreciate that living the life of a Christian is a life of service and of obedience to Christ. And incidentally, we don't need to tell everybody that we've done a great job when we've done what we were asked to do. And actually, when we stuff up and get it wrong, and maybe we're just a little bit less likely to tell everybody about it, God still knows. He still loves us. And he's there to help. He's there to help us repent and to start again. Anyway, let me leave that passage there for a minute. Let's talk about Timothy. Let's talk about Paul's letter to Timothy. You see, I think the context for this letter is quite important. It's written right near the end of Paul's life. He's in prison. Actually, he's in prison for the second time. The first time was reasonably okay compared to the second time, which was really hard for him. And he had the threat of death hanging over him. And this is his final letter. It's to his young protege, Timothy. He's leaving final instructions. And this today is a word of encouragement to him to keep going, to be strong in the faith, And that made me wonder, do we, individually and collectively, actually encourage enough? I think if I ask myself, I don't. And maybe those of us who are perhaps a a little bit older now and one or two or more grey hairs, um, we should especially think about that. Think about encouraging the people around us. Should we consider encouraging more than criticizing? 
Paul, of course, had no issues with criticism and criticizing, did he? Indeed, many of his letters see him addressing very directly and individually sometimes the issues that are being faced in the church. But he is also an encourager. And maybe we should rebalance the way we approach things as well. Who could we encourage? How could encouragement be more the main path that we go to? Have a think about that. Anyway, back to Paul. So Paul says how much he prays for Timothy and how he gives thanks to God for him and actually for his sincere faith, referencing his grandmother and mother as being stalwarts in the faith and actually linking Timothy's growth to their input. Again, as a bit of an aside maybe, is that a legacy that we're leaving to our children, to our grandchildren, and to others, namely a legacy of faith. I know I could do more, and I'm sure we all could, both by the examples that we set, but also through prayer. It's not always easy, is it, to tackle some of the issues that our youngsters face. And when we try our best to do that, sometimes it kind of goes a bit awry. But prayer is effective in so many ways both in that direct sense of actually leading us if we ask God to guide us and direct us leading us to say things differently to do things differently but it's also a route for underpinning their lives their struggles their joys and trials it's such an opportunity even when they're grown up don't stop praying for them when they start, they're big enough to make their own decisions. Maybe that's when it's needed all the more. If we're honest, don't we still need God's guidance and direction on a daily basis? And so do they in this topsy-turvy, difficult, complicated, confusing world that we live in. They need the prayers of friends and family to, help, to, to, help, to strengthen and encourage them. And Paul talks about the opportunity and says to Timothy, reminds him to rekindle, to start using actively again, if you like, the gift of God within him. Actually, it says through the laying on of hands. I find it actually quite interesting that Timothy, who Paul knew pretty well, is once again perhaps having a hard time of it in this letter. In Paul's previous letter, we know that Timothy was under pressure. He faced big challenges around false teaching and about behavior. But here, Paul is reminding him, reminding him to go back to the gifts that he's been given, back to the basics, if you like, back to the root of his calling. And actually, we're not sure exactly what those particular gifts were that were released by that laying on of hands. But it suggested that maybe that would be teaching, maybe even evangelism. But you see, the point is, Timothy is perhaps in danger of not fulfilling his destiny because he's lost sight of that extra help that God had given him to fulfill God's purposes. I think that's such a shame, isn't it, if that happens? And good for Paul, actually, good for Paul for calling it out and reminding Timothy that he'd been given specific gifts and that he was supposed to use them. 
And it's clear, actually, that Timothy, for Timothy to be fully effective, he needs to use those gifts. And it sounds as though maybe he wasn't. So what about us? What about me? What about you? Are you using the gifts that God has given you? It's sometimes easy, isn't it, to sort of, I don't know, move on, let things lapse. Sometimes we do that deliberately, but I think more often than that, we probably just let it fall away by default. They just don't get used as they used to. Or you step back and forget that you've been given extra resources, extra gifts from God. So what what do I mean when I say that? Well, the Bible makes it clear that we've been given a gift. Each of us has been given a gift by God. Sometimes multiple gifts. Maybe some have had these gifts reinforced by other people saying things. Perhaps you've had them reinforced by the laying on of hands. Some of you here may even remember the bishop at your confirmation when he laid hands on you and asked for you to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. And sometimes you discover those gifts yourself. You pray about it and understand it. Sometimes people tell you that, actually, I think you've got this gift. Timothy had the gift of teaching and evangelism, underpinning everything that he did. And maybe those apply to you. However, there are many other gifts referred to in the Bible, and these are mainly described in Romans 12, Corinthians 12 and 14, and Ephesians chapter 4. And they include things like speaking in tongues, which we heard earlier, of prophecy, interpretation, gifts of healing, of faith, of wisdom, of discernment, but also some very important gifts, sometimes a bit less upfront or talked about gifts, like the gifts of administration, or of helping others, of hospitality, of encouragement. There are many gifts that are given by God to enhance our personal attributes and abilities. And the point for us today is, do you know? Do you know what gifts you have? Are you using them? Did you perhaps use them in the past? Are you someone who encouraged others or used prophetic gifts or tongues? But now you haven't really done that for a while. Well, why not take the opportunity to rekindle those gifts, to think about those things, to ask God to shine a new light on that, and ask God to help you to use them. Maybe you could, find, you could seek to find opportunities to practice them over the next few weeks. Maybe try and get involved in areas where your gifts can be used. If you're an encourager, there's always people who want to be encouraged. Or hospitality. Who doesn't love people showing hospitality? Or helping others. Or administer, using your administrative gifts. And consider using those gifts within the church. The important thing is, just as Paul says to Timothy, use your gifts and be obedient to your calling. And Paul says, don't be afraid to use the gifts. Paul reminds us that we've not been given a spirit of timidity or cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. 
Sometimes it takes courage to speak out or to act, to offer your services when you have an opportunity to use your gifts. Maybe you don't think your gifts are that special or good enough. Or you might get it wrong. Well, maybe that will happen, but a couple of things. Firstly, these are God's gifts, aren't they? He's given them to you for a purpose. He's going to make sure that they get used. And actually, I could say it's very, op- very rude not to open the gifts that he's given you and not to use them. And sometimes not using those gifts can spoil your potential, spoil your contribution for life. And secondly, why not start in an environment where you're supported within a home group? or a smaller church setting, or with friends. If you've been gifted in prophecy, or healing, or helps, or even something like hospitality and administration, use those skills and try to use them in the church for the benefit of the family. Because that's why the gifts were given, to build up the church. Paul says that the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And to have a fully functioning church, we need all your gifts to be used for the benefit of the church. Paul concludes by restating his trust in Jesus and how how Jesus is utterly trustworthy with everything that Paul has given him. And that includes his very life, he says. And he once again encourages Timothy to hold to sound teaching undoubtedly aware that there was many false teachers, many unhelpful words being shared. So we too can trust Jesus with our very lives. So what about these two passages together then? Well, just very briefly. The two passages, I think, in some ways are quite different and yet similar. Different as Jesus is talking in one and Paul in another. But each in their way are calling disciples and by inference all of us to continue to follow Christ diligently, to be obedient to our calling, to use what we have been given by Christ to promote the gospel and to live lives for the good of the church. It won't be easy but we have an obligation to live it out with Christ's help to the glory of God. We may be asked to do special things, but we'll be equipped. God will give us what we need. But first and foremost, we need to remain obedient to God's call and Christ's example in our lives. For even the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So as I close, can I ask you to reflect on three things? Ask yourself, what are my gifts? And am I using them for the benefit of the body of Christ? And am I being obedient to Christ? You see, whatever your particular calling or gifting, we can all look forward to that day when the Father will welcome us home as good and faithful servants, and we can all share in the joy of the Father.
Amen. Amen. Thank you.